Welcome to the Self-Esteem and Confidence Mindset with me, Johnny Pardo. Welcome back to the Self-Esteem and Confidence Mindset podcast with me, Johnny Pardo. Today, I have a special guest on the episode with me, Alan, where we're going to be talking about confidence and self-mastery and all things personal growth. So welcome to the show, Alan. Hey, Johnny, great to be here, my man. It's so good to be on your show with you, man. I've been watching your show and I, I know you've, uh, you I remember when you started and it's so good to see all the great guests you're having on the show and you're going from strength to strength, my man. So thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate you being here. And um, I remember I first discovered Alan's work at the beginning of 2020, just before the lockdown all started. And I thought, wow, this guy's got some stories and some valuable knowledge, which of course is, you've got to utilize actually rather than just being knowledge. But I remember going away and just thinking, wow. And I went to a couple of his events. So I'm really privileged that you can share some value with the listeners today. And I know we're going to get a ton of great insight today. So we'll go into the conversation in a moment, but I'll just give a very quick introduction to Alan. So Alan uh, is, is a man of many talents. So he's an international speaker. He's an authority in spiritual psychology and self-mastery. He's also a professional speaking coach, and he's helped educate me in both the personal growth and financial world. So, Alan, tell us a little bit more about your story and what got you into self-mastery and, and this area. Wow. Um, I'll keep it short. Uh, <laughs> you know, I came across um, the, 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 the idea of personal development or self-mastery or the idea of understanding yourself. Uh, a long, long time ago, you know, I was 21 years of age. In fact, I even was introduced to it earlier than that, you know, five, six years before that, several years before that, around the age of 15 or 16, my, my father gave me a book to read. And he said, listen, read this book. Uh, this is all you'll ever really need in business and life. You know, if you read this book and apply what you learn in this book. And the book was How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Mm. Uh, he also gave me another book to read, uh, which was called Consciously Creating Circumstances by George Plummer. And um, I didn't read both. I didn't read these books, obviously, because, you know, I was 15, 16. My dad was telling me to tell me what to do. And at that kind of age, I was rebellious, you know, and, and refusing to do anything my father was telling me. Uh, but I remember reading How to Win Friends and Influence People and the other one, Consciously Creating Circumstances, which is a brilliant little book. It's only about this. I mean, it's, you know, can, you can sit down and read it in one sitting, you know. And um, I remember reading both of these books, you know, in my 20s. And saying to my dad, I said, wow, you know, dad, those books are both amazing. You know, and he said, yeah, imagine if you had read them when I told you to read them at 15 or 16, you know, um, when you were a teenager. Um, but it wasn't until 21 years of age when I'd been out of the military, you know, and I was uh, going through a really tough time. Um, I'd spent two years in the military and seven months of my last year, 1987, I was in Angola, deployed there during the civil war that was taking place there. And it really affected me, you know, and I came back with post-traumatic stress. And um, I was drinking a lot. I was getting high every day. I was uh, drinking myself into unconsciousness, really, because I was having nightmares and I was uh, locked away in my bedroom. I was very reclusive. Um, I found it very difficult to, uh, to re-integrate you know, re, uh, myself into the general population. You know? um, and it was at the time that somebody introduced me to Think and Grow Rich, the book by Napoleon Hill and recommended that I read the book and told me that the book would really make a big difference in what was happening, happening to me inside me at the time. This was a very good friend of mine. So I took him at his word. He was on the same military operation as me. He was a medevac. He was flying into Angola in a, in a chopper 
and taking the wounded and the dead soldiers back to the one military hospital in Pretoria, South Africa. And, uh, you know, he was very emotionally mature for 21 years of age, and he was one of my best mates. And um, subsequently, we started our very first business together. Uh, so everything he said to me, I really absorbed it, and I took him at his word, and I, I applied what he said. And he said to me, I remember what he said to me, Johnny. He said, when you read this book, he said, listen, make sure you've got a pen and paper so you can make some notes, because the book is really going to open up things for you. And oh, he yeah. said, when you right. read it, he said, pay attention. He said, read the book as if the author is actually sitting opposite you at a table and they're telling you something, the most important thing you're ever going to hear in your life. And I, and I said, wow, okay, cool. And, um, and I'll never forget that bit of information because I, when I started to read the book, I was completely absorbed. You know, if you've read Thinking Grow Rich, anybody's listening to this and I know that you value the book highly yourself. Mm. Uh, you know, anybody who's read that book and anybody who hasn't read it yet but comes to that book will find the same kind of experience that once you start reading it, it's fully absorbed in that book because it's so well written. And it's so important and it's really a fascinating subject, you know, about the mind and how the mind works and how we can take the invisible and turn it into the visible. And so I read that book with that kind of attention. And um, because I read it in that kind of way, and, and I guess there was a lot of other factors at play at the time. I was extremely volatile in terms of emotional, um, you know, an emotional seesaw. I mean, one minute I was as high as a cart. Next minute, I was like completely depressed and suicidal and I was high all the time. You know, I was always taking drugs. I was drunk all the time too. But I read that book and I really absorbed it and I made notes and I, I was blown away by what I was reading. And then uh, that just kind of led me to, you know, other books, you know, and then I read another book. I read another book and my friend who re recommended the book, he had a library of books, you know, in his flat. And so I used to hang out there at his place a lot. And um, even though I was getting high a lot, I was still reading a lot and I was absorbing a lot. I was fascinated. I was fascinated by what I was reading because I'd never come across it before. I'd never heard of psychology before. You know, I wasn't, a, I wasn't academically minded at school. I wasn't a student. I never read anything. You know, I didn't enjoy school at all. I was uh, one of those kids that failed my way through school. My favorite subject was English. And perhaps had a, maybe that had something to do with it because my English teacher was amazing. Ian Anderson. I loved him, right? Not Ian Anderson, Chris Anderson. What a beautiful man. And um, he made English interesting, you know, and I, that was my favorite subject. And I excelled at English. Uh, and maybe that had something to do with the fact that I fell in love with reading these books. But the subject matter was something I'd never come across before. And it really, it, it inspired something in me. It sparked something in me. And I became an avid sponge, you know, this avid sponge for this kind of knowledge. And that led me to studying um, the effects of trauma on the nervous system because I was traumatized uh, throughout my life. And then obviously Angola was just an, you know, kind of like the cherry on top, right? Um, the final nail in, in, in my psychological conflict, you know, my internal conflict. And, um, you know, there was a war going on inside of me, you know, inside my head, you know, my head was so noisy, I had so many voices. And so um, this kind of information just blew me away and led me to other information. And I became this, this sponge for knowledge. And now, you know, 30, it's what, 20, I mean, that's 1988 that I read Thinking of a Rich July. So this July, It'll be, um, what, 33 years, I think it is. Is that right? 88? Yeah, 34, I guess. 34 years. This will be my 34th year since I started studying. Mm. And the day I started reading Thinking of Rich was the day I became a student. I remember even thinking to myself, wow, you know, this is great information. You know, I'm really going to, you know, I'm loving this, you know. And uh, that was the day I became a student. So 34 years later, I've read, man, I don't know how many books I've read. Man, I, I, you know, I got to the point where I was reading six books at a time. And, um, and I've got a brilliant memory. I've got a photographic memory. So um, 
yeah, and it's, it's, it's been a fascinating journey. And as I began to apply what I was learning, I began to see massive shifts mm-hmm. in my life. And here's an important thing I want to add here because, you know, for anybody who's listening to this or watching this, uh, you, you said something just now when you introduced me about, you know, applying knowledge, you know? Knowledge uh, is not had, power. And I, yeah, and I have yeah. got a very extensive knowledge of everything to do with consciousness and, you know, human behavior, anatomy, physiology, nutrition. I've studied the human body and the human condition and what it is to be a human being in this, you know, in this, in this human body that we get to possess or get to utilize um, and everything to do with that for 34 years now, you know, and, and um, I'm constantly reading. And so, but application is key, right? And I remember hearing something a long, long time ago, uh, you know, from Jim Rohn first and then from Tony Robbins, you know, Joseph says the same thing. You and I were talking about a great friend of ours, Joseph McLennan, before we started this, this interview and uh, all this conversation. And they all say the same thing, you know, and, uh, but I heard somebody say it in a different way. Until you get knowledge into your body, you know, then it's not real knowledge. You're not, you, know, you, you don't really know it. It's got to yeah. be in your body. And, you know, Joe Dispenza says the same thing. When it gets in your body and it becomes a ritual, it becomes a habit, it becomes a way of life, then, it's, then it becomes part of your unconscious. And then you become unconsciously competent. And that's really, that is the, that is the, the, the level of consciousness that we all possess. It's this ability to be unconsciously competent at the most important things in life. But most of us never get to that level of mastery, which is what self-mastery is about. It's about learning how to become unconsciously competent in your ability to be a good human being, a powerful human being, a manifester. You know, we have that ability to master that area of our lives. But, you know, as I said last night, when I posted something on my Instagram last night, I was inspired by reading um, Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. I'm reading that book again. And, uh, you know, I was inspired by what I read there. And I posted something immediately on Instagram, on my story. I said, um, you know, the, the most important thing, the most important thing, or the thing of enduring value, as I put it, right, which I took from the book, which, and then I paraphrased it. The thing of enduring value is, the only thing of enduring value is understanding or having a working knowledge of, of your mind and how it works and how we think and why we think what we do and where those thoughts come from and how the brain is not actually a thinking mechanism, right? The brain, people think the brain thinks, but the brain is not that. The brain is this receptor, which in then inspires thought. Uh, so it's a fascinating you know, subject, the human mind and human consciousness and self-mastery. And it's been a fascinating journey. And then obviously I've been able to work with amazing people, you know, and it's been a, you know, I've been able to create a, a great life, you know, so I'm very, very blessed. Um, but it really comes back to that thing. It's taking what you learn and applying it. And for a long time, Johnny, I didn't apply it. You know, mm. for, for the first 11 years of my education from 88 to 99, I was reading, absorbing, going to workshops, you know, spending money on books, cassette tapes. At that time, we used to have cassette tapes and then CDs. <laughs> Uh, but going to workshops, you know, jo- joined Landmark Education, went to the forum, did the advanced course, the self-expression and leadership program, the communication program, the communication two program, you know, and then I became a forum leader. I, I trained to be a forum leader. Uh, but in spite of doing all of these programs, and I was doing other programs too, you know, I was going to St. James's Church in Piccadilly, you know, every week, there was yeah, guest speakers there, you know, I've seen some amazing people uh, and some of, the, some of the greatest speakers of our time, you know. Um, many of them have passed on now and uh, but I didn't really begin to apply what I was learning what I was absorbing luckily I've got a great memory and I absorbed it deeply and I was very whenever I was reading I was in a high state 
of uh, of absorption because I, I get really excited when I'm reading something inspirational, when I'm reading something to do with psychology, right? Uh, but it wasn't until 1999 that I began to apply what I was learning at that particular moment in my time. And then everything I'd learned before that, you no, know, kind of kicked in, you know? Um, and that's how the brain also works. You know, when you read something, you absorb something, it, it files it in your filing system. And if you've read something similar or along those lines, or, you know, that has a parallel to what you're reading now, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, your brain has a very, very clever way of assimilating that information. So, um, yeah, when I began to apply what I was learning, then all things changed, man. And life has been, it's been like this up and down, you know, as it always is, life is a roller coaster, but it's my roller coaster is going up like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> because, you know, life is never all roses, right? There are thorns, uh, but we learn to use those thorns in a powerful way. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Alan. I always, I'm always blown away listening to you and there's always something I'm taking. So I'm going to take plenty of notes today. Um, one of the things Joseph teaches actually is knowledge is not power. And then actions, action is more powerful, but the real power he believes is an activity when you do it again and again and again, action repeatedly. So absolutely. It's uh, like yeah. going to the gym, for example, you, you know, you've got to go to the gym. That's knowledge. That's not going to get you healthy. That's not going to get you fit. You go once. Okay, that's a start, but it's not going to change your life around. But the activity is what's going to change your life around. 100%. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you reference Joseph now. And, and for those people who are watching and listening now, if you don't know who we're talking about, we're talking about a very, very successful guy, Joseph McClendon III. Check him out on Instagram. Uh, he works very closely with Tony, one of Tony Robbins' best friends and Tony's head trainer. And, um, you know... I love what you said there, but what Joseph says, you know, I've listened to Joseph so many times and I met the first time I ever met Joseph was 1999 in Hawaii. And, um, you know, and then, uh, you know, I remember he, he, he says this a lot, doesn't he? Uh, the reason he became so successful so quickly is because when he was going to these workshops and he went to see Tony first for the first time and mm -hmm. Tony told, and Tony shared a tool or a strategy and he said, this works. And if you want to change your life in this way and you use this tool this way, you're going to get great results. And what, you know, if Joe, and, and then what Joseph would do is he would take that tool and he would apply it like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times. You know, if Tony told him, told them, if Tony said to the group, you know, go out and do incantations for half an hour, Joseph would go out and do incantations for 90 minutes or two hours rather than half an hour. He'd always go further. And he, he learned that from his dad, you know, that you should always do a little bit more than mm -hmm. expected of you. My father taught me the same thing. Always do more than it's expected of you, you know. Uh, especially in, in business, you always go the extra mile. Jim Rohn says that, used to say that a lot, go the extra mile, because when you go the extra mile, the, the rewards are exponentially greater. Yeah, that's a, that's a great reminder there. And um, another great reference, uh, Jim Rohn, who, who came up with such um, amazing stuff. And one, actually, that, that kind of leads me on to the next question. Um, you know, Jim, Jim Rohn's, one of his uh, sayings, he's got many quotes, but you are the sum, sum of the five people you hang out with, right? So obviously when you were taking on board information, it sounds like uh, that started to retrain your mind a bit. Obviously when you started applying it, it became even more powerful. Mm. What was the impact for you about the people on the people you were hanging out with? Did that have a big role in your life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great question because... Um, you know, when I first came across that phrase, you know, you're the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. Um, you know, it, it, it uh, you know, I really thought about that, you know, 
And it reminded me of what my father used to tell me when I was a teenager. He always used to say to me, listen, pick your friends carefully because your friends will, will make you and, and you'll become like them, you know, and you'll tend to do what they do um, because peer pressure is very powerful. And I was very influent. I was very easily influenced as a kid because I, I had very low self-esteem. Um, so I always gravitated towards, you know, um, the wrong side of the tracks because I, it, it, I wanted to be accepted. Uh, so I would do things that, that I knew that my father would frown upon. But, and I used to remember my father telling me, you know, listen, choose your friends wisely. And when I heard of that phrase, you know, later on in personal development, you know, become the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. And Tony says the same thing, right? You, you, you know, you, you, um, the expectations of your peer group are what create your lifestyle, right? What create who you are in terms of your identity. Um, it's, it's a very powerful thing that, and when I, when I, you know, at that time, when I made these changes in 1999, uh, when, it was when things began to really change for me, it was July of 1999 that I went to see Tony Robbins live in Cardiff. And I remember him saying the same thing again about, you know, the expectations of your peer group and what that does for you in terms of, you know, your environment. Environment is much stronger than will. He used to say the same thing, right? He used to say environment is much stronger than will. You can have a great willpower. You can have great, you can be motivated. You can have goals written on the wall. You can have your vision board like I have over there in the office. I can see it from here. You can have all these things on the wall, but you know, if your environment is holding you back, if you're living in a, in a disempowering environment or you're living in a toxic family or you're living in a, you know, a, you know in a neighborhood that just is toxic or is, is you know, then that environment gonna, is going gonna, is, is gonna to override your willpower. And so what I did was I, I looked at my life at that time and I thought, you know, I could see exactly where I was and why I was there and what was happening in my life. And just to give some, some, some context, you know, at that particular time in my life, in spite of the fact I'd been studying for 11 years, uh, I found my place at the end. Uh, I found myself in a place in 1999 when I was suicidal. I was addicted and I'd been drunk and high for 18 years straight. Um, pretty much most of my life. That's what it was. And, but for, for a long time, for an extended period of time the, in the late 90s, I was extremely unhappy and was getting to the point where I was suicidal and contemplating it on a daily basis because I just, I was in so much pain. I just thought the easiest way, the easiest thing to do is to check out because I couldn't see any hope. I couldn't see any, and that's what happens to people, right? They can't see any way out of the, of the darkness they're in. And that's how I felt. And then that's when I went to see Tony Love. And then I remember listening, going to that workshop four days sober I got there four days sober. I made a decision to go there sober. So I got clean four days before it happened, sober four days before I got there. And when I arrived there, I really applied myself. I made a commitment to myself. I said, I'm going to apply myself in this workshop. I'm going to play full out. I've come here to change my life. I was very conscious about that and very committed to that because I, I realized I got to a point where if I didn't change my life now, in that moment, then I was... It, for me, that conversation about just jumping under the train on the train track was so real for me and so um, within touching distance. I knew that I needed to make a, a, a shift in the other direction because I was, a, I was afraid to do that for sure. But I was in so much pain that it was a reality for me. It, was, it, it felt like a reality. And um, I remember when he said that, you know, that you've got to look at your environment and you've got to look at the people that you're hanging around with on a regular basis and look at the people that you look up to and look at the people that have a lot of influence on you in terms of your identity and your values and all that. And I looked at my life and I thought, wow, you know, I can see why I've been doing what I'm doing because of my environment and because of the people I'm hanging around with. And I love those people. I still love them to this day. Some of them are still my best mates. We grew up together, et cetera. However, we were, we were, we had become our negative behavior. We'd become our destructive behaviors. We'd become our destructive habits 
of getting high and drunk all the time and it wasn't serving any of us. And I definitely knew it wasn't serving me. And I had goals and ambitions. Now I wanted to do things. And these books I was reading in the previous years that inspired things in me, inspired ideas. And I just was so pissed off with myself that I wasn't actioning any of those things because I was just stuck in this old behavior. And so I looked at my environment. I changed it completely. I looked at my peer group. I changed it completely. I just left that peer group. I told them why I was leaving. <laughs> and I explained it. I said, hey, you're not going to see me. Uh, I've just come back from this workshop in Cardiff, Wales with Tony Robbins for four days and I've changed my life. That four days changed my life completely, 180 degrees. I'm sober. I've been sober for two weeks now. I'm staying sober and part of staying sober means I'm not going to be coming around here anymore. You won't see me for a while. Please understand. Give me some space. I love you guys still. You're still my brothers. I just need to do this for me. And uh, I've got some interesting reactions from that conversation. Not all of them positive. However, I stuck to my guns and I found a new peer group and somebody introduced me to the London Yes group and I started going to that meeting every single month and I started befriending people from that environment and I started hanging out with those people, you know? Um, and then the rest of the time, I would just spend my time on my own. And while I was on my own, I was reading and practicing what I'd learned from Tony, practicing the exercises every single day. I just went on a mission, man. I just rewired my nervous system completely. Like every morning I'd wake up and I'd do my triad for 45 minutes. I'd do my incantation for 30 minutes. And then I'd go to work and I'd work 12 hours. And while I was there, I was reading all the time. And I would just, I monitored my thoughts. And every time I had a negative thought, I would stop myself right in its tracks. I'd say, hey, that's not right. Where does that thought come from? Why am I having a negative thought? This is old programming. Let me replace it with a positive thought right now. Let me do five star jumps. Let me do 20 press-ups. And I just rewired myself, man. And um, it had a significant impact on my life. I went from like, you know, arriving at UBW four days sober in 50K of debt. Uh, in spite of the fact that I was working seven days a week, 12 hours a day, making 20 pound an hour, right? For In the bank, I was working in two banks. I worked for Credit Suisse and then I went to Citibank after that. And I was in IT. So I was making good money, but I was always broke because I was, I was, I was, I was my money was just going on, on getting money high. Blueprint, parties, yeah. Yeah, and drinking. But... Coming out of UPW the following year, man, I mean, a year later after UPW, 13 months actually to be exact. I remember I went to a party with my old crowd. They hadn't seen me for 13 months. I was like, you know, six, seven, eight kgs heavy. I was working out. I was clean. I'd been drinking water only, eating good food. I went, I stopped eating meat, stopped drinking coffee. I just, I mean, I went vegan. Uh, my energy was through the roof. Um, I was feeling so, I was feeling great, man. I was, I was sober for a year, man. And I went to a party and there, some of my friends didn't even recognize me. And, um, and I changed my entire life, in, including financially. It was amazing, man. Uh, but that's what can happen when you really apply this stuff, you know? And that's what a lot of people don't do. They read a book, they listen to a podcast, they go to a talk, etc. but they don't actually apply what they're learning. And even if you just take one thing and you apply one thing, like one thing every day, like gratitude every morning. I started applying gratitude every morning. Then I added to it. Then I added to it. Then I added to it. Now I've got a whole bunch of things that I do, you know, just out of habit, right? That just set me up every single morning. But I started with one thing and I applied it and I made it part of my routine. Then I added something else. A lot of people also do too much stuff, you know? They try and do too many things and then they just get overwhelmed so they don't do anything. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Environment and peer group, very important. Absolutely. And there's, there's a fair few lessons we could have picked up from what you just said. So there's that 
there's that decision you made decision that I'm not settling for this anymore. And actually I'm going to change my life. I'm going to apply. And that's why I always encourage my episodes. What's the one thing you're going to implement from today? Yeah. Um, so I appreciate that. It also, you've also obviously shared very openly. So thank you that you were in perhaps the darkest of the darkest stages of your life. And that's when you came out of it. So, you know, this just shows what's possible when you rethink it, you start, doing these little changes gradually into your life and actually how that can rewire your nervous system, as you put it. Absolutely. Um, but one thing you um, talked about, and I was kind of interested in, in line with self-mastery, is this whole self-awareness piece. Mm -hmm. And obviously becoming more aware of ourselves, where we are, where we want to be. So in terms of someone who's very, very busy, they're going around in the cycle of life, right? Most people you speak to these days are, are busy. Um, what guidance would you give to someone who's perhaps caught up in this very busy cycle of life and perhaps they're not where they want to be, how they can work on their self-awareness a little bit more? Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing that you say there about people, a lot of people being busy. And it's true. A lot of people are being busy doing nothing, busy mm. doing nothing or busy being busy. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of people are majoring in minor things, so they don't get anywhere. <laughs> Uh, you know, but to answer that question, you know, I think what I always say to people is become, first of all, become aware of what you think about a lot. You know, what are your dominant thoughts? What's your dominant thought patterns? Because we've all got dominant thought patterns. And until we become conscious about what those are, and at that point, as you become conscious about your dominant thought patterns, you'll notice that your dominant thought patterns are 99% negative. That's because you've grown up as we've all grown up, most of us have grown up in a negative environment. And now if you look at the news, it's 99% negative. What you see on social media, 99% negative. What you hear at the local coffee shop, 99% negative. Everyone's complaining. You know, most people are unhappy. You just have to walk around and look at people's faces and you can see they're unhappy. People don't smile at each other. I walked into, I'll give you an example and I'll come back to the answer again. I walked into a Joe the Juice. What's today? Tuesday. Yesterday. I walked into a Joe the Juice yesterday. Sorry, Sunday. I walked into a Joe the Juice Sunday on Kensington. And when I walked in, there were three, four people behind the counter. And I walked in, I said, hey, good afternoon, everyone. With a smile on my face. And they all looked at me and they were silent. Nobody responded. They all looked at me like they were shocked. And so I, I looked at them and I said, wow, you guys are surprised that I said hello. That's, that's, that's quite fascinating. Isn't it interesting? And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, co I continued. I said, isn't it interesting that we find something so natural that's, we, that we, that's something so natural, we find it so bizarre because we've been programmed to think that when someone says hello to us, it's like shocking to us because we don't get that kind of, we don't have that kind of stuff. And I said, obviously people don't greet you when they come in here. And they said, no, nobody greets us. I said, wow, that's weird, don't you think? And so, you know, it's like crazy, right? Most people are in their head all the time and they don't even realize it. This is the thing. Most people are so unconscious about what's actually going on inside of them. If you just pause and ask them to pause for a moment and say, hey, just take a moment and just feel what's going on inside of you right now. How do you feel? Like, how are you feeling right now? If you ask the average person that question, Johnny, and they actually pause and they get present to how they're feeling, they'll probably tell you something like this. Oh, you know what? I've got a pain in my neck. I've, got, I've actually got a sore back. I've got a headache. Um, you know, I'm not feeling so great. I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling lethargic, you know? But they're not even present to that. 
because they're in such operating mode, right? Just doing, doing, doing under a lot of pressure and they're inside their head and don't even realize what's going on inside their head, which is all these thoughts all the time. Just like constant barrage of thoughts. So, you know, coming back to your question, to answer that question, you know, if I think about myself, when I started to read and I started to apply what I was learning and I started listening to what these people were saying, you know, I started thinking, wow, yeah, I have got a busy mind. I'm always in my head. I'm always worried about what people think of me. I'm always asking myself, what do they think of me? Why are they looking at me? Are they talking about me? That, and I started to notice what was going on inside of my head. And it was always self-indulgent. It was like I was self-obsessed. And I was self-obsessed with looking good or feeling safe or being accepted or, or feeling uncomfortable. I always felt uncomfortable. And when I became aware of it, I thought, wow, this is crazy. No wonder I feel unhappy all the time. No wonder I always want to get high because I just want to check out. I want to check out of the present. I was just looking to check out of the present because the present was a very uncomfortable place to be. And as soon as I became aware of it, at first it was freaked me out, right? At first I was completely freaked out. Because then I thought, oh my God, I can't get away from myself, right? Because no matter where I go, I'm here. But then I started asking myself, okay, cool. What do I need to do in order to begin changing this? And I started, okay, let me listen to what these people are saying. And I started to pay attention. And then I started to ask different questions. And I started to notice. And, you know, and then when you kind of, when you start seeing your, when you start becoming the observer of your thoughts and you're not subjected, you're not, a, you're, not, you're not subjective, right? You're not at the mercy of your own thinking. Then you can observe, you become objective. You say, wow, that's interesting. That's fascinating. Where did that come from? Like, when did that first start? How old was I when I first thought that? How old might I have been when I actually first had that very first thought? You know, and you can track it back, man. You can track this all the way back to your youth. And then you realize, well, actually, it's not you. It's, not, it's just a program. Um, so the first thing I'd say to people is become aware of what's going on inside your head. And ask yourself all the time, is it serving you? And if it's not serving you, ask yourself, what can I do right now to change this right now? Because you're always free to choose a new thought. A lot of people forget that, right? A lot of people forget that you can choose a new thought just like that. Right in the moment, anytime. You can stop thinking what you're thinking right now and choose to think something else. And most people don't do that. Why? It's just too difficult. They don't even want to do that. That's why Henry Ford, you know, Henry Ford, the great, you know, the great businessman, industrialist reference uh, thinking grow rich quite a bit yeah yeah what did he say about thinking such a great quote one of my favorite quotes you know and since i came across it i don't know how many years ago 25 30 years ago i've never stopped using it he said thinking i might need to blow my nose in a second man i feel like i'm gonna sneeze he said thinking is the hardest work there is that's why so few people engage in it now what was he talking about he was talking about conscious constructive thinking which is what Napoleon Hill talks about. When you sit down and you sit and you think, you think constructively. In other words, you create new thoughts about your life. You visualize, you imagine, you talk to yourself in a positive way. You come up with inspiring thought processes. You don't, th thinking is not just sitting there and letting your mind think any old garbage, like chewing bubblegum, right, in the mind. It's like a mind is just chewing psychological bubblegum. It's the same thoughts going round and round and round. Why is, my, why is life so tough? Why are people such idiots? Or what? They complain all the time. They don't realize that's just happening. But thinking constructively and, cons and consciously means sitting down and saying to yourself, all right, good. What do I want to do with my life? What do I want to be? You know, what do I want to create? Who do I want to become? What's my legacy about? How do I want to influence people? What do I want to own in my life? You know, what kind of message do I want to, who do I want to be on a conscious basis, on a constructive basis, on a daily basis? That takes work, man, because your ego has been in control for so long and it doesn't want to relinquish control. 
It's well-practiced, that ego. So you've got to build another muscle. You've got to build a muscle of listening and then choosing. Listen, choose. That's how you create responsibility. That's how you become responsible for your life. I've created this model called ARC, A-R-C, Awareness, Responsibility, Choice. When you become aware of how you think and why you're thinking like that and actually also aware that actually I don't have to think like this anymore, I can change the thought. And even if that old thought comes back again, which it will, because it's well-practiced, but eventually you start building up the other muscle and eventually the thought slows down and then it doesn't come back anymore. And then one day you think, you know what? Wow, I don't think that shit anymore. I'm so much more relaxed. I'm so much more confident. I'm so much calmer. I never, I haven't thought a negative thought in ages. I haven't thought a negative thought in ages. Now, I'm not a saint, right? I mean, I was walking, I'll give you, I, and I, I'm very transparent. I'll give you a first-hand example of myself. I was walking just before I got home for this interview with you. I was in the center here where I live. And I went to get some protein powder. I just come out the gym and I was walking. I saw these two young guys wearing masks. And the very first thing that came into my head was what Muppets? Why are they wearing masks in a beautiful day? The sun's out and they're young. Like, I don't know, in their 20s. As soon as I said that, right? As, and this, is from, this comes from building muscle, right? And practice. And I've been doing it. I've been practicing this for, for years, like three decades. As soon as I heard that thought in my mind, I said to myself, Alan, that's not fair. Have some compassion. They're just doing that because they've been programmed. They don't know any better. Maybe if you were in their shoes, you'd be thinking the same thing. Send them some love right now. And then I turned around and I said, looked at them as they were walking, I could, walking away from me. I looked at their backs and I said, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. And then mm -hmm. I said it to myself. I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. Because I know when I, when I ask for forgiveness for another human being, I have to ask for forgiveness for myself. But that just comes with practice where you build that practice. And that's an automatic reaction for me now, an automatic response. It's not a reaction. It's a response. But I built that response into my nervous system and it serves me well. And I don't have a lot of negative thinking anymore. You know, the ego is still there. Of course, I've got my ego and my ego still, you know, it's still got its own identity. However, I've learned to, I've befriended my ego. I've made it my ally. And, and, and I've, my ego has learned that it's okay not to be afraid anymore. You know, it doesn't have to be afraid, but it's still judgmental sometimes because judge, you know, being judgmental is a program that we are all around all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, this social media is just, social media is training to people to be judgmental all the time. The news is training people to be judgmental. Then they've got that in their own home with their parents. Parents are training their kids to be judgmental all the time. So you have to manage that all the time and be aware. Pay attention. What am I thinking? Is it serving me right now? Does this thought make me feel good? No, it doesn't make me feel good. What do I need to do? Think, what do I need to think right now to make me feel good? Just come up with something. Like, I'm grateful. What am I grateful for? I'm grateful for this water. I'm grateful for the fact I've got eyes. I've got hands. I'm healthy. I've got food to eat. And then you start, you know, that's how you start to change yourself, man. So long answer to your question. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> no, absolutely. You actually uh, covered something else I was going to touch on, and that was comparing ourselves to others, because that's the, the ego popping in, right? And it's that it's that judgment and i'm doing a i'm doing a program at the moment by gabby bernstein on judgment detox and she's a she's great with that kind of thing so i'm glad you touched on it as well that judgment because we've always got that voice but it's about practice that you were saying and thank you for obviously sharing that there's there's nobody's perfect we all have those thoughts right like your examples of seeing those two young guys and then actually transforming it into something great um gra gratitude being a real powerful one so Alan, a couple, a couple more questions to kind of uh, finish off because it's been an amazing conversation. But one thing I'm very passionate about is the power of 
investing your time, energy and money into yourself to grow yourself and really develop that level of self mastery. So can you tell us a little bit about how that's been important in your life and your development? Oh, Johnny, that's it. Yeah, my man, you know, I've spent so much money on programs and books and CDs and DVDs and, you know, traveling to get to, to get to programs, you know, um, I borrowed money, you know, in my early years of, um, educating myself, you know, I borrowed money so I could go on different programs and it was worth it. You know, every penny spent, you know, in excess of a hundred thousand pounds, probably mm. 120 grand, you know, on just, um, you know, buying programs, five day programs, 10 day programs, you know, plane tickets to get to these programs, hotels to stay at these places. Um, you know, I've traveled all over the place to go to different programs and it's been well worth it. You know, and I've got so many books. I've got books in storage in South Africa. I've got books in storage here. I've got books upstairs, all over the bookshop. I've got books here behind me in that room right there, you know, um, and, and, you know, each book you buy is like, you know, 15, 20 bucks. Uh, but it's worth it, right? Because, you know, you can learn so much. And I think, you know, people, you know, nowadays it's different now, you know, and I've noticed this too, you know, that you can, you can, you can educate yourself for free pretty much these days. You know, you can get free stuff on YouTube. You know, you can get free stuff on podcasts. You can get a lot of free information, a lot of free education. And while that's great, I think that is great. It's awesome. But at the same time, what it does is it undermines the value of that information. You know, I think if you pay for something and you really have to pay like, you know, a hefty weight or, uh, you know, a hefty weight of cash for something, you value it more, you know, you're going to use it. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, generally the general population, they still don't really value. I mean, I know people have paid for programs, go to programs, they come back, they put the books on the shelf and they don't do anything with it anymore. You know, they don't apply it, you know, and I've done that in my past too. Uh, but then I started asking myself a different question. I said, what happens, what, what would happen if I began to apply what I'm learning? Even if I just applied one thing from this program. Um, so investing in yourself is extremely important. I know you do the same thing. You've invested a lot of money in yourself too. You know? Um, you know, you've paid a lot of money for different programs. And each time you pay money for a program and you apply what you're learning, etc. you know, you've got another feather in your cap. You've got another tool in your, in your belt. Um, and that just makes you more effective as a human being. Um, ultimately, you know, we're talking about self-mastery. And I think we must talk about this before we end the conversation is that because it ties in very nicely to, to constant growth that we're talking about now, but also ties in nicely what you said earlier about judgment and releasing judgment or becoming less judgmental is, um, you know, ultimate self-mastery is recognizing the gift that exists inside of you and the gift that you've been given to house, to house the gift that exists inside of you. So let me explain that. The body is just a vessel, right? It's a conduit. And a conduit allows things to flow through it. You know, if you've got a conduit, that means you've got a pipe and then through a pipe flows a cable or water or whatever it is, or electricity or whatever. You know, the human body is exactly the same thing. It's a conduit. It's a conduit for energy. Energy flows to us, through us, and from us all the time. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a constant. From the moment that you manifest into human form and you conceived in the human body and energy becomes matter. You go from energy into physical form and you begin to develop in your mother's womb. From that moment, you are now a conduit for energy and you remain a conduit for energy. So the most powerful way to develop self-mastery is to learn what this energy is, to understand it. And it's very difficult to understand completely and we'll never really understand it completely, but we can develop ideas about it and we can 
And, and through those developing of those ideas about it, we can come to a certain understanding of it and we can see the benefits of that understanding. Those, that understanding becomes tangible benefits. And through all of that, you start to understand that this body is just a conduit. And if you treat it with respect and you understand that there's a much greater force that flows to you, through you, and from you in all things, and that same force is flowing through everything, every single thing on this planet, this computer, the trees outside, you know, this chair I'm sitting on, this worktop here, it's all energy moving at speed. Now, we, are, we forget that we, we take it for granted because we think, it's we think it's an inanimate object because it's not moving, but we forget it is moving. We just can't see it moving. It's moving at speed. It's energy moving at speed. It's atoms, electrons, molecules, all moving at speed, at such speed that it becomes dense matter. So when you understand that, you know, this conduit, the human body, which houses an energy or a spiritual aspect of grace, right? This energy that exists inside the body, behind the eyes, the I am. You know, when Jesus spoke about the I am, he wasn't saying I am the only God. I am the only son of God, I should say. He was saying the I am that exists inside of me, which allows me to do all of these things, which you can also do greater than me, which is what he's actually said. He said, you'll do much more than me because we all gods. That's what he said. You're all gods. What he was actually saying is that the body is a human. It's just a conduit for something much greater. It's called grace, right? We could, we've given it many different names, but that's the best way to describe it. This infinite energy that flows through us, this grace that gives us the ability to live. Coming back to non-judgment and self-mastery. When you begin to treat yourself with respect and you treat your body like a temple and you recognize that there's a grace that flows to you and through you and from you and gives you the gift of life and gives everything the gift of life, right? And then you say, wow, you know, that gave me that, 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 the, the fact you were born is a miracle, man. Mm. Like it's one in 40 trillion. It's like almost impossible. It's actually impossible if you look at the mathematical equation. But yet here you are. That's a miracle. You're still here. So, you know, when you look at it like that, you say, well, you know what? How can I treat myself with more respect and really revere and be in awe, right? Be in awe of what I am, a human body, housing this beautiful, uh, the, the conduit for this amazing grace that gets to experience itself as me. That means what happens is when you can do that, you'll start to judge yourself less. When you judge yourself less, you judge other people less. And the less you judge other people, the, the easier it is to judge yourself less. Because it's a mirror. Everything's a mirror. And when you practice that kind of awareness and you start practicing that kind of self-love and that self-respect or that, that being in awe of life and life, the life that you get to live, the experience of living, then something really, something amazing begins to shift inside of you. And then you begin to see something in a very different way. You begin to see everything in a different way. And if you can add that to gratitude, you know, you can rise up into a higher state of consciousness. And that's what Maslow spoke about. It's about self-actualizing. When you self-actualize, then life takes on a very, very different perspective, a different feeling, a different meaning, and you begin to see miracles in everything. Everything becomes a miracle then, right? Because we are miracles, and we become our own miracle. And that's the real, that's really what self-mastery is about, is about mastering the self, which means understanding that the concept of self that we've been given since we were kids is flawed. It's a false self. It means that, you know, you, you, you are somebody, if you build a big business, if you own a nice car, if you have a hot chick, or if you have a hot man, if you're a woman, or if you, you know, you've got lots of money in the bank, or you wear nice clothes, you've got nice handbags, nice shoes, 
people like you, if you've got lots of likes on Instagram, if you've got a lot of followers on Facebook, all this kind of crap, right? Is surface level crap. What's more important is who you are behind all of that stuff. If you take away all of that stuff, who are you? For a lot of people, if you take away all of that stuff, they're nobody because they've never built that inner identity. They haven't built that inside relationship, that relationship with their higher self. So if you take away everything in their own, what do they got? They feel naked, right? They got nothing. You say identity is gone, right? If you take away everything I own from me, I'm still happy. And that's a fact because I've done it twice. I've lost everything twice and I'm still happy. Even when, I, even when I was going through that process, I still reminded myself, hey, you don't need all of that stuff to be happy. What's important is being happy with what you got right now so you can build it back up again because that's the fastest way to get it back is to put yourself in that place of gratitude even right now, even when, you, when your ego is telling you you don't have anything. And that's the biggest problem with men's suicide right now. The reason that hey, men's suicide skyrocketed, sparked during lockdown is because a lot of men lost their incomes, they lost their jobs, they lost their ability to make money. And if you take away the average man's ability to make money, you've taken away his identity. What has he got? If he hasn't practiced self-mastery, internal relationship with himself, a deep relationship with himself, if he hasn't built that muscle and discovered who he really is behind the facade, behind the mask, behind the role, behind the label, etc. If he doesn't know who he really is, you take away his ability to earn money. He feels like nobody. And that's the greatest pain he can ever have for most men. So what they do is they kill themselves because they don't think they've got anything else. So it's an interesting conversation, right? Self-mastery. It's the most important thing. It's the only thing why we're here on earth. It's the only reason why we're here on earth. I saw a fascinating quote. Let me just look at it on my phone so I can just tell you exactly what it was. I saved it and I'm going to share it on my Instagram. But I want to read it to you because it's so true, man. Because this is what I talk about in spiritual psychology. Now, you've done my program. You know what I mean. But listen to this, right? Mind-blowing. Mind blowing. God becomes man. And when I say man, I'm not talking about like the male gender, right? We don't, let's not go there because there's all kinds of conversations about that. When we talk about man, we're talking about the human race. God becomes man or God became man that God, sorry, God became man that man might become God. That's powerful, right? Let me say it again. God became man that man might become God. And that's exactly what Maslow spoke about, self-actualization. That's what David Hawkins talks about. That's what Wayne Dyer spoke about. Well, David Hawkins doesn't talk about it in the present tense right now, because he's also passed on. But, you know, people like David Hawkins, Wayne Dyer, you know, Maya Angelou, you know, um, Louise Hay, you know, all these beautiful people that talk about really self-actualizing, which means rising up into a higher state of consciousness and living from your higher self. Your higher self is your direct connection to God, universe, source, higher power, infinite intelligence, whatever you want to call it, it's all the same thing. Um, but that's the true nature of self-mastery. When you master the internal relationship with the higher self, and then fear disappears, right? No more anxiety, no more fear, because it doesn't matter if you lose everything, because you know that none of that stuff's important. And what's the most important thing is who you're being in the moment. While you're having something taken away, who are you going to be when that happens? While you're making money, who are you going to be when that happens? While you're making love, who are you being? While you're being a father, while you are teaching your kids something, who are you being? It's all about that being. And that beingness at its highest form is God manifesting self in your human form. And then therefore, so that you can find your way back to that higher self and becoming God in your human form. Absolutely. So, so vital self-mastery these days as well. The amount of fear that's 
you know, put out there in, in the media. I know Peter Sage is also a lover of the media, not, uh, <laughs> there is, you know, there's various other sources, um, out there that are going to put it. So the self mastery is so key. And I know, obviously I learned a lot from you when I, I was going through it and then the identity, creating yourself an identity statement was just one of them, which is real powerful impact. So thank you for the, the work you do in self mastery. And I certainly learned a lot and I know many people have. So Alan, like, to be honest, I could have a conversation with you for hours. Um, you've got so much value to share, but um, I've really enjoyed your input today and I've been taking plenty of notes and I know the listener would have been taking plenty of notes and actions. So where can people find you if they want to find out a little bit more about your work or go further with this? Um, well, they can find me on social media, Instagram and Facebook mainly. I'm on, I'm on, I'm other, I'm on other platforms like LinkedIn. Sorry, like LinkedIn and Twitter, but I'm not very active in those things. Mm. Um, I've not been very really active on social media lately. I do post the odd Instagram post and I, I post the odd story, etc., and that kind of stuff, and the odd Facebook post. But I'm not active as active as I used to be before this lockdown or this whole lockdown malarkey started two years ago, or whatever it was. Um, because now I just find that social media. Whenever you go to social media, everything's so political, and everyone's got an opinion about everything. And most people, you know, most people's opinions aren't really worth, you know much because they they're based in other people's opinions you know they're not based in a personal experience um however if people want to find out more about me connect with me on instagram facebook send me a message if you want to um yeah and uh thanks johnny i appreciate the invitation it's been great talking with you my man and uh, it's the time's flown by already man and we could talk for ages man <laughs> absolutely i'd love to as well so yeah that's um that's where you can find alan obviously um when when he's available so we'll we'll put your links in the description as well so once again a big thank you alan for coming on and sharing such valuable insight thanks johnny appreciate it bud awesome so that concludes our episode for today but remember work on your self-confidence every single day <laughs>